And it's an incredible sermon series where we get to talk about one of the, the main, one of the main missions here at Redeeming Love. And uh, I, I know we've been uh, having different sections, and so these banners on the sides may have been a little bit blocked by uh, different people. We, we, can, we can read that banner. It says, engage God, engage church, and engage culture. And that's what we believe here at Redeeming Love. We're going to first engage God, and then we're going to engage church, and then ultimately engage culture and engage the lost. And we're going to talk about, this series specifically talks about engage church. And so I'm just blessed and honored to be able to share a little bit about the vision of Redeeming Love Church. I'm not going to cover the entire, we haven't covered the entire aspect of Engage Church, and I'm sure as not going to bring all of it this morning either, but uh, blessed to be able to bring such a small part to our big vision here of Redeeming Love, and um, amen. And before I get into the message, can we just all bow our heads as, uh, as I just say a quick word of prayer? And so Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for, to be in this building. We thank you to be here with, uh, with brothers and sisters in Christ, God. And we're thankful to be here with one another, Lord, uh, worshiping you, praising you, thanking you for who you are and what you've done. And Lord, also that we may encourage the person to our left and support the person to our right and pray for one another and the needs of this church and the needs of the people. And Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this message. We thank you for your will to be done in this place this morning and that this message touches our hearts, and that we can move forward knowing more about you and who you are. We thank you, Lord, and you know me pray. God's people said, amen. amen. Well, church, first off, I have to start off with a confession. I must be transparent with you. Uh, I struggle with something, and uh, no, matter how, no matter how hard I try, no matter how, how much I work at it, um, it, this issue, this problem in my life continues to follow me. And I know this might be uncomfortable for some people that I'm, I'm being this transparent so early on in my message, but the truth is, is that I hate working out. I hate it. I just, there is something about working out that I just do not enjoy. And I, I don't know if it's because I hate going to the gym. I don't know if it's because I don't like sweating. Not a huge fan of cardio. May come as a surprise to you guys. I just do not I just do not like working out, honest to God, and I have just always struggled with it, and I have to confess that to you this morning. The only time in my life where I have ever succeeded in working out, very few times, is, is when someone has, you know, I've gone to the gym with somebody, and I say gone to the gym, and what I really mean is someone came to my house, and they came into my door, and they grabbed me and said, put your gym clothes on, we're going to the gym. So the really unfortunate thing about this thing that I struggle with is that a lot of my friends and family, they have this passion. They have this desire. They're like, I want to work out. Like they just, they want to go to the gym every day. They want to be there just pumping iron, running on the treadmill. You know, um, my wife asked me before we got married, she said, Jamie, will you run a marathon with me? And I'm like, Absolutely. And then thankfully COVID hit and no one's running marathons. Um, but it's coming. It's coming. Uh, and so it's really unfortunate because a lot of my friends, they do possess this passion. And it's the only time that I've ever really had success at, at working out is when people have 
gone with me. They've, they've said, hey, Jamie, they've called me up and said, hey, are you working out today? I'm like, absolutely not. Like, great, on my way to come pick you up. And they've taken me to the gym or we've, we've done like a workout regimen together. We followed it, checked the charts and whatever, like this day worked it out. Like, I don't mind, che- like I can do checklists. And so they really got me because they're like, hey, if you worked out seven days this week, we'll give you an award. Like those little apps on your phone, they give you badges and stuff for working out seven days in a row. I'm like, man, I want that badge, you know? And it's all digital, but like for me, it's like, we can do this, you know? And um, it's really unfortunate. And I know a lot of you guys are probably sitting there disappointed and upset with me. You're probably like, come on, Jamie, like just be more disciplined. You gotta be more disciplined. But the truth is, is that I need accountability. Something in my life where I need people to hold me accountable to working out. It's a weakness of mine. I don't like working out. I know that it's something that I should do. It's healthy. It's good for the body. You don't have to tell me why we should work out. You don't have to tell me I'm looking a little small. Listen, I know, you know, I see myself every day. There's mirrors all over my house, you know. I wear baggy clothes to hide that. I understand, you know. I need accountability in this. And, um, and you're probably like, Jamie, just, you know, it's all right. you don't need accountability. You just gotta, you just gotta be more disciplined, you know. You gotta be more disciplined. And maybe you're right. Maybe I should be more disciplined. Maybe I should really just get my act together and just, you know, meet God in the secret place and say, God, I just need to be more disciplined in this. You know, maybe that's what I got to do. But maybe, maybe this is simply just a place and an area in my life that God wants me to be held accountable to. And there are areas in our life that God wants us to be held accountable to. And you know what, church? Also, no matter how disciplined, which because dis- being disciplined is a, it's a biblical principle. No matter how disciplined we think we are, being disciplined will never, and it does not, replace the need for accountability. And a lot of us can think, well, you know, I'm so disciplined, I don't need accountability. And the truth is, is that that's not it. We all need accountability. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive compensation for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. And so what does this mean? It means that we will be held accountable for everything that we do here on earth, good or bad. And church, this morning, I, I want to talk about both sides of accountability, because there is two sides to accountability. It's so, it's so easy for us to think that accountability is simply here only to tell us when we're doing something wrong. It's so easy for us to think that that's what accountability is. But there's another side to accountability. It's, I think it's the more important side to accountability. It's what I really want to hone in on today. And the other side of accountability is that accountability also helps us to do what is right. And I want to focus on doing what is right and keeping us on track to do what is right, not simply shaming us for when we've done something wrong. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And, and there's this book, it's called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And we are a church, essentially we're a very large team, but, um, and we can take these principles and we can, we can apply them to our life. But there's this book, it's called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. It's written by Patrick Lencioni. And he goes through the, the, the top five reasons why teams fail, why, why they never reach their goal. And one of the main reasons is because t- people will avoid accountability. And church, the reason why we have, the only way that we avoid accountability and why we don't have accountability in our life is because we are choosing not to have accountability. And so we choose to run because it's, sometimes it feels easier when we don't have accountability. 
Lencioni, Patrick, he jumps into a couple risks that we can run into if we avoid accountability, which is something we don't want to do. We don't want to avoid accountability. And he, he talks about four risks that we can find ourselves in when we avoid accountability. And the first risk is, is we can begin to resent those we see succeeding or operating with excellence. In the church, we call this envy. And there's no place for envy in our hearts. There's no place for envy in our lives. Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Church, the second thing avoiding accountability does is it can encourage mediocrity. It can bring us to a place to be complacent with good enough. And God tells us we can't just settle for good enough. Good enough isn't good enough. And God says, he says in 1 Colossians 3, 23, he says, whatever you do, work heartedly as for the Lord and not for men. And church, the third thing that can happen is we can become careless. And Proverbs warns in 14, 16, it says, a wise man is cautious and turns from evil, but a fool is easily angered and is careless. And church, the final thing that can happen is we can cause those around us to suffer the consequences as well. Church, we're a body, we're a family, we are a team, and we make up the kingdom of heaven. We make up the, a body of believers, and we are all doing life together, the person to your left, the person to your right. And 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, if one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Amen? Yeah. And so we're going to talk about these points throughout today's message. But right now uh, that I've given you all of this, this information and we get to move forward with this, and uh, if, you're, if you're not taking notes, it's, uh, I really highly encourage you to because I know I just threw a lot at you guys. But we have this information. We're going to jump into the Word this morning and learn from, from what quite possibly may be one of the most famous Bible stories of all time. You know, someone who had to fully embrace, someone who found themselves uh, completely submerged, if you will, by the nuisance of accountability. And so church, if you would, open your Bibles with me, and we're going to turn to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. Jonah. It's a difficult book to find. It's right before Micah and after Obadiah, and that doesn't help most of us. If you don't have your Bibles, it's okay. They'll be up on the screen, um, and you guys can read along. I do put it in my notes to drink water. It actually says it right here in bold print. So Jonah chapter 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amitti, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And so quickly, church, we have a man, a prophet, if you will, named Jonah. And he's asked by God to deliver a message to a city, a wicked city, a city that's, that's full of sin. And there's clearly an issue here, and, and, and Jonah has an issue with this with this city. It's not, 
it's, it's, it doesn't really make sense to us what the issue is because he's dealt with sinful cities before. You know, Jonah is a prophet. His, his responsibility is to go to cities and call out cities when they've been doing wrong and to tell them, you must return to God and repent. Otherwise, God wouldn't have asked him to go to Nineveh in the first place. So this isn't Jonah's first assignment. So he's done this before. God has told Jonah to go into cities and proclaim the word of the Lord and call the city to repentance. So Jonah's very familiar with this. But there was something about Nineveh that Jonah just detests. But it doesn't make sense. This is Jonah's role. This is his responsibility. This is his job. And so what about Nineveh did Jonah not like? Because he's clearly a prophet doing his responsibility. God felt that he could rely on Jonah, count on Jonah, to go to Nineveh and give this word. Otherwise, God wouldn't have asked Jonah to go because God doesn't ask us to do things that he hasn't equipped us to do. But there must have been something about this place where, for Jonah, it was a no-go. He's just like, no, I'm just, I'm just done. He couldn't get past whatever it was. Whatever it was, he couldn't get past it. And see, God wanted to help them, but Jonah hated them so much that he didn't even want to step in and offer his help. Because really what's happening is that Jonah is being sent in because God sees the destruction of the city coming. He sees that the city will be destroyed if things don't change. And so he's asking Jonah, Jonah, go, step in, intervene, and save this city. And Jonah says, no. No, in fact, I'm going to go the opposite way. But this is his purpose. Why was this so bad? That Jonah now decides he doesn't want to help and deliver a message. He's been doing this for so long. And, and church, I have one question to ask us this morning is, what is your Nineveh? What is your Nineveh? Because how often, church, do we find ourselves being asked to do something that falls in line with our responsibility? It, it aligns with our giftings. It aligns with our callings. It's, it is the perfect role for us to fulfill. But we want no part of it. And, and you know what's interesting to me? It doesn't say that Jonah was running from an assignment. It doesn't say he was running from a task. It says he was running from the presence of the Lord. He was running from the presence of the Lord. And so I know that Tarshish is a real place. It's on the map somewhere. Obviously, the, the name of the city has changed. But it's not important that he's going to Tarshish. It's important that he's running from the presence of God. He's running from the will of God, the, God's will that was put on Jonah's life. He's running from that. He's running from his purpose. And so church... We need people in our lives to hold us accountable to our purpose because each one of us has a purpose. Otherwise, we can run into the risk of just like we mentioned earlier, we can become complacent with good enough. This is the second risk we talked about. Don't worry, I didn't skip the first one. We'll get back to the first one. The second risk we talked about, we can become complacent with good enough. See, this was Jonah's purpose. This was Jonah's responsibility. This was his job. But he said, you know what? Like, I've put in my time. I've, uh, I've helped all these other cities out. But for these guys, you know, I, I, think it's just, I think it's just good enough that they just go, that they just die, that we just, the world is better without them. And, and I don't know, Jonah's in this place in his life where it doesn't appear that he has accountability. 
And, and we know that the churches back in the Old Testament didn't operate like they did today. We didn't have these communities where we fellowshiped together in a room and we had small groups outside of our, our meetings. No. And Jonah, maybe Jonah felt that he was just too high up. You know, Jonah's a prophet. Maybe he felt that he had too high of a role where he didn't need accountability. And he's like, you know what? Like, I'm disciplined. I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. I don't need accountability because God's going to hold me accountable. And God holds Jonah accountable. And so Jonah's like, you know what? They don't really need me. I'll give other words, God, but not this one. He's like, no, I think I'm good. I think I'm going to pass up on this one. And he's like, actually, you know what? So convenient. I'm actually off to Tarshish for just a little bit of a vacation. And I'm going to go off and it's going to be great. And so often we try to run from, from our purpose. And so off to Tarshish, Jonah goes. And picking up in verse 4, it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break it up. Then the mariners were afraid and cried out to his God. They threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. I mean, he's on vacation, so, you know, might as well take a nap. But if this isn't the perfect, perfect image and example of carelessness. We talked about that. That was the third risk that can happen when we avoid accountability. This is complete carelessness. It doesn't say that Jonah went to sleep and then the storm came. No, it said a storm came and then Jonah went down below to sleep. So Jonah sees the storm. He sees the trouble. He sees the danger. And he's like, you know what? I think it's best that I just go to sleep and just sleep this one out. (laughs) The mariners can handle it. In the midst of a storm that could potentially sink the ship, Jonah felt it best to go to sleep. Carelessness. We can't, we can't afford carelessness, church. We can't afford to have carelessness. And so continually reading in verse 6, it says, The captain came to Jonah and he said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, Come. Let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. On whose account, on whose account has this calamity fallen upon us? Perfect example of risk number four. Man, we're blasting through these. Risk number four. Jonah, thank you so much. It can cause those around us to suffer the consequences as well. So because of the actions of Jonah, he put everyone around him in danger. A suffering these mariners definitely did not need to bear. And so the men, they begin to question or interrogate Jonah in verse 8. It says, says, then they said to him, tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? And so they, they begin this interrogation of Jonah, and Jonah goes, I'm a Hebrew. He replied, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid, and they said to him, what is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them so. Then they said to him, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? What shall we do? What can we do? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up, throw me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. 
And church, others can hold you accountable, but only you can take responsibility. Others can hold us accountable, but only we can take responsibility. And see, Jonah realized in that moment he needed to take this responsibility. See, the men had suffered enough, and Jonah was causing this undue harm to the men. And there was this danger when they had done nothing wrong. They were just asked to to sail a boat. Jonah just surrounded himself with these men and put them in harm. Because why? Because sin has consequences. And until we take responsibility, we are only going to hurt those around us. Church, there needs to be people in our lives who will hold us accountable to take responsibility, who are going to hold us accountable to those consequences. And see, these men knew the storm was only going to end if Jonah took responsibility and accepted, the res- and accepted the consequence. He needed to take responsibility. The storm was a consequence of Jonah's actions. And now, church, sometimes, sometimes the enemy comes around us and causes a storm. And sometimes the storms in our life may be caused from the enemy. But sometimes the storms in our life are happening because we're running. We're running from the will of God. And just stick with me as we, as we go through this. We're running from the will of God. And church, I'm here to tell you that, that we may only be able to tell the difference between whether a storm is either an attack from an enemy or whether it's because we're running from the will of God if we surround ourselves with people who are filled with the Spirit and the Word of God, people who have our permission to hold us accountable. And see, the mariners, they knew this wasn't just any storm. They knew something was off, and so they were going to cast lots to figure out who brought this on us because we live on the sea. We know that this isn't normal. And so this is definitely from a higher power, which is why they began to cry out to their gods with no avail. They began to cry out to their gods because they knew something was different, and the difference was Jonah. And so church, who, who in your life knows whether or not you're running? If the answer is no one, then how can we know whether we're running or not? How can we know if we're running from our purpose? How can we know if we're running from our responsibility? How can we know if we're running from our family, from our marriage? How can we know if we're running from an opportunity? In church, every time we sin, we take one step away from God. And here's Jonah running. And so each time we sin, we take one step away from God. But church, I'm here to encourage you that no matter how far you run or no matter how fast you go, there is no place you can go where God can't chase you down. There is no place you can go where God cannot chase you down. You can't run too far. You can't run too fast. You can't go to Tarshish. You can't go to Canada and expect that everything's going to disappear and be okay. God will still come and find you. You can't just go on vacation and expect all of your problems to go away. And that when you come back, somehow everything's going to be better. Because God, God will come chasing after you. In church, during, during worship, we, we sing a song, not this morning, but we sing a song. And it goes, it says, Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down. It fights till I'm found. It leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. 
It's a great song we sing here on Sunday during worship. You can never run so far that God won't come chasing you down. And let me tell you this. When God starts running, sometimes it can look a little reckless. Some of us, when we start running, it can look a little reckless. Like that boy better slow down. You know, he's going to fall. And so when God starts running, it says that God is seated in heaven. And so when God starts running after you, you can imagine it's probably going to be a little reckless. And that's probably exactly what the men in this boat are thinking about this storm. And it's, it's, it's reckless. It's tearing the boat apart. Everyone's lives in danger. And you know what? The men have this great idea. It says that the men tried to sail back to shore. Like, you know what, Jonah, we're going to do, do you one a favor. Like, we'll get you back to shore, you know? And so they're like, we're going we're gonna to get back to shore. But it says that the waves only grew more and more worse. They only grew higher. They, it only became more dangerous because God kept running. Because as the men are trying to run away and they're trying harder and harder, God just kept running faster and harder and harder and kept chasing them down. And church, sometimes the storm keeps us from going anywhere. And it locks us in this place. And the graves grew worse and worse. And so with no place to go, stuck because of a storm, the men took Jonah and they threw him overboard. First, they said a prayer of forgiveness. They said, Lord, don't hold us accountable for the death of this man. And they threw him overboard into the sea. And it says, immediately, the Bible says, immediately, the seas calmed. Responsibility was taken and the storm ceased. And so picking up in verse 17, it says, But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. And so while Jonah's in this belly, he says this prayer, this prayer of repentance, and he's asking for forgiveness. And really, it's, it's actually a prayer of thanksgiving. He's thanking God for everything that he's done. He's thanking God for everything in his life where, he, where God has been faithful. Because in this moment where Jonah is in the belly and he's assuming death is on its way, he's in the shallows, he's, he's, in, the, he's in the depths of the sea, he's assuming there's no way out. He begins to remember all of the things that God was faithful for. And church, sometimes... Sometimes we fall off track. It's so easy for us to fall off track. We get distracted. We get tired. We, we get so busy. And there are so many things that can keep us from reaching our goal. And so sometimes there has to be this process of realigning. And so here's, here's God calling upon this giant fish to swallow Jonah. And he comes to his senses finally. And he says, you know what, God? You're right, I was wrong. I was missing the mission. And so often we can miss the mission. We can miss out on the big picture. We can miss out on that purpose, that original thing that God said, hey, I, this is what you, I've called you to do. This is what I want you to do. And we get caught up in life and the hustle and bustle and we fall off track and we don't even realize it. And so we need people who are gonna remind us when we, fall off track. And so there has to be this time, there has to be this process of realigning. And 
And church, we need people around us who are going to hold us accountable to the process of continually making sure we're on track. You know, we set a goal. If we have a plan, you know, if God gave us a direction, church, if God gave us a direction, we want to be good stewards of that and find people who are going to ask, hey, hey, you said you were going to write a book. How's that going? Said, hey, hey, you said you wanted to be debt free. Like, where are you at with that? Like, hey, you said that you were going to work out and you wanted to, you know, get bigger, you know, or get smaller, whatever you want, because working out works both ways. We all struggle with it. How's that going for you? When was the last time you were in Planet Fitness? When was the last time you turned on your, your app? Many people are going to ask us these questions. Because if we don't have people who are going to ask us these questions, then we're going to find ourselves saying, you know what, today was just too hard, and I just, I can't go to the gym today. Can't do it. I can't work out. You know what? I am just not feeling creative today, so like we're going to forget the book, we're going to put it away, and I will just simply try again tomorrow. You know, God, I know that I need to go to church this week. I haven't gone in the last month, but again, it's just been such a long week that I just can't go today. And this becomes, this becomes our daily excuse, becomes our weekly excuse, becomes our lifestyle. And we make these excuses and tell ourselves this because we need to be realigned to the big picture. And church, we come to this place where we find out that we haven't moved any closer to our goal. We haven't moved any closer to our purpose. And so church, who is going to hold us accountable to the process of realigning. Who's going to come behind us and say, hey, I didn't see you in church yesterday. Is everything okay? Come on. Oh, you were tired? You know what? Hey, how would I pick you up next week? We'll go together and I'll grab you a coffee. What, what, what's your coffee? Where can I get it for? And let's go to church together. We need people who are going to say, hey, how's that book coming? Like, oh, you only wrote the title and then you just lost creativity? Well, hey, what was the reason that you wanted to write that book in the first place? Why did you want to be an author? What inspired you? And we need people around us to remind us these questions that are going to say, hey, you're not on track. We need people to be honest with us. And the process of realigning is exactly what's happening here with Jonah. So the whale, after three days and three nights at a prayer of forgiveness and thanksgiving, the whale spits Jonah out onto the shore. And God tells Jonah again, Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them and bring this, bring this message. And of course, you know, Jonah not looking to want to go around this mountain again. He's all in. He's like, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not looking to go back. Let's go. And so Jonah travels three days. It takes him three days to get to Nineveh. And so he gets to Nineveh. And he starts to tell everyone in the city, hey, in 40 days, God is going to destroy this city. And he starts telling person after person after person. And the word finally gets to the king of Nineveh. And he's like, you know what? He puts everything down. Like, you know what? We're not playing around. We're done. You know what? He, he, in that moment, rips off his clothes, puts on a sackcloth, which in the Old Testament, that was a sign. That was an outward expression of repentance. And he's like, you know, it's not just me as the leader of this city. You know, everyone's wearing sackcloth. Make sure everyone's wearing a sackcloth. And you know what? That's actually not good enough. You know what? Put sackcloth on your animals. Yep. Your cat, your dog, your fish, put sackcloth on them because we all need forgiveness. I was going to read this part, but it's just too long. Every animal, every living thing in, the, in, in Nineveh was wearing sackcloth. And the king, you know what? Wasn't good enough. He said, you know what? This isn't good enough. Is that word again, good enough, that phrase? He said, this isn't good enough. We're all going on a fast. And it's not just the people. 
It's every living thing. And so your dog doesn't get to eat. Your cat doesn't get to eat. Like if you have cows, like you better make sure they can't chew that grass. Like no one's eating. We're all going on a fast. The whole city rallies behind and they turn around. And of course, and of course, 40 days later, here's Jonah hoping for a fire show. He's getting excited. And God's like, you know what? Jonah, I'm sorry. I can't do it. I can't destroy the city. I can't. How could I? They came to me in repentance. How could I? I'll be going back on my promise. Jonah's furious. And he's like, you know what, God? I knew it. This is why I didn't want to come. He's like, I didn't want to come here because I know you. I know you. You're full of love. You're full of grace, full of mercy. And you keep your promises. And I knew you weren't going to destroy this people. And so why would I waste my time in coming here when you were just going to go back and fulfill that promise you made to all of us about forgiveness. So Jonah's furious. He's enraged. And God, so intentional, like a little kid, he, he causes this bush to rise up. And to, it says, it says he causes this bush to, to, to rise up for Jonah's discomfort. It says, for Jonah's discomfort. Jonah's throwing this little pity party, and God's like, you know what? I'm going to grow this bush and cover you with shade, so that way we'll relieve some of your discomfort. Or like a bush is going to solve all of Jonah's problems. But Jonah's actually quite excited about this. He's very happy. He sits down next to the tree. He gets all comfortable. He's like, yeah, this is pretty nice. He lays down in the tree in the hot sun, and he actually, it says he falls asleep, which most people do after they throw a pity party. He takes a nap, and when he wakes up, when he finally wakes up, he realizes that the tree, the bush, has died. And the sun's beating down on his head, and drama queen Jonah goes, I think I might faint. And he turns to God, and he goes, he wakes up, the sun's beating on his head, he gets all riled up again because his bush died, and he starts saying, you know what, God, it's better if I die than live at this point. Is just take me now. And so picking up in chapter 4, verse 9, it says, But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, Yes, angry enough to die. So extreme. And then God said, You are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor, and for which you did not grow. Like God made it happen in minutes, you know? And then it died, and, and Jonah's freaking out about it. It came into being one night, and it perished in a night. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And what that last phrase means is that they didn't even know what they were doing. Because no one had told them. So Jonah's here to save a city. 
And this is a mic drop kind of ending for God here. The book simply ends right here after verse 12. Oh, that's not verse 12, sorry. The book simply ends, yes, it does, sorry, right, after, right here at verse 12. The book ends right here at verse 12. And it's a, it's a mic drop kind of moment for God where we don't really hear much about Jonah after this book ends. And this is a perfect example, though, of the risk that we first mentioned when we avoid accountability. And that is that we begin to resent those we see succeeding or operating with excellence. And see, Jonah's upset because God would spare the Ninevites but allow his bush to die. But the Ninevites were only spared because they took responsibility. They turned from their wicked ways and sought God's forgiveness. And while the Ninevites were celebrating their success of not dying, Jonah was mourning the death of a bush that he had not labored for. And church, this, this, this blows my mind, and I think this is why Jonah's a great example, because somehow after the storm, somehow after the fish of being in the belly for three days, sometime, somehow after Jonah returns to his promise, he accepts his due punishment, Jonah goes through this process of realigning, this entire story unfolds, and he is still clearly missing something. But he returned to his promise. He went to Nineveh. He had a process of realigning. People, you know, he's being held accountable, and he's still missing something. So church, what are we missing here? Because apparently it's not good enough just to chase a purpose. It's apparently not good enough to just have people around us to tell us when we're doing wrong and we're falling off track. Apparently this isn't good enough. And so what are we missing? What was Jonah missing? He's missing the promise of forgiveness. He forgot about the promises of God. In church, so we need to remember the promises of God. And so who is going to help keep us accountable in remembering the promises of God? Because clearly that was the one thing Jonah was missing and he was still having a problem. He had everything else right, but he was still having a problem. And so we can't forget the promises of God. And so who's going to help us stay accountable to remembering the promises of God? What does this look like? Well, it might look like coming to church weekly. It might look like attending a small group that we have here outside of church. You know, it might look like hopping on a serving team and playing a, a, a small part in what's going to make a big difference in someone's life. And these are all small aspects of the vision of engaged church here at Redeeming Love. We want to see people in church. We all want to be here together, worshiping God and praising and encouraging and praying for one another. Listen, we want to meet in homes. We want to meet out into the world and gather together and get these little fires started outside of this building. And we all want to, we all want to do what we call church together and do life together. And that's what Engaged Church is about. And church, that, that, that community that we're talking about that's going to support us, that's going to encourage us, that's going to pray for us, it only happens in the church. It, a, a community like that is only going to take place in the church. And so church, I want to leave you with this. Why did God hold Jonah accountable? Because God wanted to partner with him to keep Nineveh accountable. 
And sure, Nineveh deserved vengeance, but God extended mercy and deliverance just like he did for Jonah in the whale. And so why didn't God let Jonah wander away? And why didn't God just let Jonah die? Because the purpose that Jonah had would fulfill a promise of God. And church, each one of us here has a purpose. God has put a purpose in each one of us, and it connects to a promise of God in somebody else's life. And church, unfortunately, I can't tell you what that is. I can't, I, can't, I can't have all of us get in a line and you guys come to me and me tell you what the purpose of your life is. I can't do that. But what I can do is I can equip us with the next step. And so on the back of our Engage card that we have here, it says, this week I will. If you guys want to pull that out, it says, this week I will. And the first point there, it says, get out of the boat. So I will get out of the boat. And this was what we talked about with Jonah and the fact that he had to, he had to take responsibility or, he, or the storm wouldn't let up and he couldn't continue to move on. And so church, there might be some of us here this morning and, and we, we need to come to God in forgiveness and we need to take responsibility for some things that we've done. And we need to get out of the boat like Jonah because otherwise we're going to get caught, tossed between the waves and we're going to keep striving and keep fighting. But if we don't take responsibility for what we've done, the storm will never let up. And there's some of us in that room who are there. And I encourage you, don't be afraid to get out of the boat because God is loving, God is gracious, God is merciful, and God is compassionate. And if we come to God in repentance, the promise of forgiveness will be fulfilled in our lives. And we'll see that forgiveness. Just because when it comes to God, just because we take responsibility for something, if we come to him with a pure heart of repentance, it doesn't mean we have to accept the consequences because Jesus paid the price to accept those consequences a long time ago. And so, but we still need to come forward and take responsibility for those actions. And so if that's where you're at, I want to encourage you to check that box. And then the second thing is, is be accountable to someone. In church, we all need to have someone in our life who's keeping us accountable, not just from falling behind, but making sure we stay ahead. Not just to tell us when we're doing something wrong, like, hey, pick up the slack, but to make sure that we're ahead of the game, that, we're, that we are striving and we are running towards what God has put on our lives, what direction is in our life. And we all need that person. And so we, we got to find someone this week to hold us accountable. We got to find someone this week who we trust as a spiritual leader in our life someone who, who you can be transparent with, just like I was transparent with all of you in the beginning of this message. We got to find someone who you can be transparent with because transparency is the first step in accountability. Because if we're going to simply tell someone we want, we want them to hold us accountable to this, and then we lie to them, then we're doing ourselves no good and we're, we're not being honest with them. In church, even though it... it Accountability can sometimes can be a nuisance. It can, it, it can be easier to avoid it. It is a biblical principle that will change the direction of your life. I promise. It will change the direction of your life. And it is, it is a biblical principle. And there's no better place to find accountability than in a loving church. And so church, thank you so much for hearing my heart this morning. 
Thank you so much for, for being here and, and, and hearing some of the vision of Redeeming Love here this morning of Engaged Church. Uh, we have one week left of our sermon series. It's next week. Pastor Matt is going to finish us out. Um, and so I, I, I encourage you all to come for, the, for next week as we close out this sermon series. Um, but, but God bless and uh, Pastor Steve, it's all yours.